Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. A number of years ago, uh, I was over at Cedar Rapids First Assembly of God back in the revival days. Anybody ever go over there? Yeah, to, yeah, Vicky, she's already getting touched over there. And uh, it was, that, there was some good services. They had Steve Hill in one time, and I, I love Steve. We had Steve in a couple of times, and uh, he was uh, taken by cancer a number of years ago, but he was just a great guy, Teen Challenge graduate, so there, we had that in common. And uh, Steve just had a tremendous touch of God on his life. Uh, I remember even when we had him here, I saw people just thrown through the air by the power of God. He would walk towards them. Uh, Just a tremendous touch of God on his life. And I remember sitting up in the balcony of Cedar Rapids first. Steve was preaching and I I was sitting with a bunch of Teen Challenge students. We had loaded up our school bus, got on the road and drove over there. And as I was sitting there, I had these two thoughts going through my mind. Oh man, some of these guys tonight are going to have their world rocked. They are going to get hit by the power of God. Their lives are never going to be the same. And the other thought, equally true, was, oh man, some of these guys are really going to drive home disappointed tonight. Because they're going to see their friends get hit by the power of God, and they're going to wonder why they weren't touched. And as I was meditating on that, the Lord began to speak to me what I want to share with you this morning. Spoke to me out of Matthew 15. If you want to go ahead and turn there. Matthew 15, verse 21. And uh, I know this is going to sound strange. Let me explain to you. Uh, But what the Lord began to talk to me about is passing the test of the divine insult. Passing the test of when God's moving and touching others, but he seems to rebuff you. Everybody else is being touched and you're left alone. What do you do about that? I don't know about you, but I've been in services where, man, God was moving powerfully. I I used to go down to Brownsville when Steve was down there. Steve and Pastor John Kilpatrick. And it was a tremendous historic move of God. And it was one of those rare moves that even during it, you knew this is historic. It was on all the news outlets. I remember turning on prime time and 60 minutes and all that. And they'd be interviewing people out in the parking lot. I remember this one guy. They said, why are you here? They would would line up for hours before service. Stand in the pouring rain in their suits. Because we all wore suits back then. This was in the 90s. God delivered us. Let's just worship right now. Hallelujah. Of course, the older I get, you can hide a lot under a suit. We might have to adopt that again. Uh, But anyway, I digress. uh, But I remember this one guy, they were interviewing him and he said, they they said, why are you here? He said, I don't know. He said, he, he began to share about how he struggles with a drug problem and he lives in Michigan and he just felt like something told him to come down and check out this thing in in Florida. There he was standing outside for hours, not even saved yet, but something had drawn him from the other side of the nation. Man, I'm hungry for that. And when you have that kind of hunger in a house, man, it becomes, there is a, 
a demand placed on heaven and God began to show up in such power. And so they would preach and I, I got born again again so many times there. I would go down and get resaved, uh, get born again again, get my card punched. And I remember I'd be down there weeping, answering the altar call and Steve would say this, if Jesus isn't the first thing in, on your mind in the morning and the last thing on your mind at night, you need to get saved. I'd run up, get saved again. And uh, they would fill out the card. I remember one of their ushers asking me, he says, so what's your name? And I don't know why he asked. He said, what do you do for a living? I said, I work for Teen Challenge. And he looks at me and I said, I tried to explain. I am saved, but I, I'm getting saved. He said, I understand. It happens all the time. He just kept moving, <laughs> filling it out. And then would come the prayer time. Now, if you went to Toronto... Toronto was known for this tremendous move of God as well, but they were orderly up there. Matter of fact, when we built, we put this line in the carpet, and that was for a prayer line uh, so that people could stand. Everybody line up. Let's do this orderly. At Brownsville, it was anything but. It was a mosh pit. There were people. I often wondered how someone could be rude and get touched by God because people would like body check me and move in front of me to get positioned, and I'm, I'm trying to be nice. You know, I'm thinking, wait, I, you know, this, this is not supposed to work this way. The rude people are getting touched, and it was really hunger. And so there were times where Steve and John and other ministers would come through, and they'd be, and it, bodies would just be flying, and the testimonies were unreal of lives turned. But it happened more than once where they'd be coming through praying for people, and people be dropping and weeping, and Clearly the power of God all over them and they'd get to me and they'd step right around me and then just keep praying. And I'd be like the only piece of wheat standing in the field, you know? And I, seriously, I'm like, do I have body odor? Am I, is it my breath? What's going on? I, I wondered, God, what? Man, I, I drove a long way to get to Florida. To position myself to get touched by God only to feel like I'd just been rebuffed by God himself. What do you do when that happens? Now, I know I've had all kinds of testimonies come in this week. There's a number of healings. Someone just shared with me this morning they, about a healing they experienced during the conference. Uh, I had a pastor in Kansas write me. He said, hey, some gals from our church came to the conference last week. They were baptized in the Spirit. And... Uh, that, you know, this, this is a church that's coming into these things and they're hungry for it. I didn't even know they were here until after Saturday night. A couple of gals got off the floor and intercepted me and said where they were from. And, and uh, just a lot of good things happened. I remember Saturday morning, I could hear the sounds of deliverance. I don't even know who the gal was, but it so touched my heart. There was a gal that got up off the floor and she was, she was crying out, Jesus, forgive me, I'm sorry for everything. I thought, that's the sounds of revival. When people don't care, they just want to get right with Jesus. When they will publicly confess their sins, you're on the front end of fresh breakthrough. It was beautiful. But I also know some of you didn't feel anything. Some of you were powerfully touched by the Lord and others of you were left to feel like, what was that all about? Why did everybody else feel something and I didn't? I want to tell you, as your pastor, there are still a lot of times where we'll have powerful services and I don't feel anything. I'll look around and obvious that some others are, but I don't feel anything. And you know what? That's okay. I mean, I would prefer to feel something, 
My little brother is like a little lightning rod for the power of God. Again, I was down at Atumwa last night. My dad was giving a testimony. He was talking about when Christopher was six years old. My mom, she would begin to explain the baptism in the spirit about that age. And she would kneel us next to the bed and just try to pray us through. And so she was telling Christopher about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. My dad was pastoring this little tiny church that was an old movie theater. It had the slanted floor and the flip seats. And our right-hand wall was the left-hand wall to the bar next door. So on Thursday night Bible study, if we sat next to the wall, we could hear the band. <laughs> this little church. And on a Sunday night, everybody else had gone except our family. And my mom said, Christopher, do you want to get the baptism tonight? So she took him down to the altar. We're all praying and Christopher got hit by the power of God. Later on, he was to tell us that what he saw was this angel came towards him with a flaming sword and when it touched him, he launched into tongues. He couldn't speak in English for hours. I remember he was telling us later that night, I can't wait to tell my teacher at school what happened. <laughs> my dad would say, well, you know, you might want to, <laughs> let's, let's discuss this. But he was powerfully touched by the Lord and all, you know, he did have a couple of rough years, like seventh and eighth grade, where he became cantankerous. But he came back to the Lord about 13 years old and never looked back. He would spend hours with the Lord all through his teenage years. And I, I, we've ministered, really, around the world together. And to this day, I still marvel at how receptive he is to the Spirit of God. And I recognize that I had to learn to receive much more than he did. Now, I, got, I have my theories on that, uh, why, why that is, but he's just, he's more inclined in that way, his mindset. Even the relationship he had with my dad, I believe, set him up to be more inclined to be receptive to the Spirit of God. And I had to learn, and I, I tell you, there have been times where we'll go overseas and I'll preach, good things will happen. Christopher will be up next, he'll grab the mic and he'll just drop it and start singing and the power of God will fall and people will start going through deliverance and get healing, running around the room and others are crying and I'm like, that is amazing. And if I'm not careful, I can compare what's on my life to his. And I can't afford to do that. I, I love what's on his life and I got what's on his life because I got him. I have a relationship with him. And I have to be, I have to know who I am and not compare myself with him. And as his older brother, there has been times where that, that was hard for me to look at the profound way that God uses him and the way he hears the Lord and I've seen how the Lord has used him. Now, I say all that to say I know I'm not unique. I'm a humanoid like the rest of you. And so we have a tendency to struggle with those things at times. And I know just by experience that there's some of you last week when others were getting touched and you know you are hungry and you know you're, there, there's this desire within you and other people are feeling things and you're like, I'm not getting it. Matter of fact, it's kind of quiet in here and they're waiting on the Lord and I'm not feeling I just wish they'd preach or something. You know, let's do something here. And you're questioning yourself. And I believe this story in this passage was shared with us precisely for that reason. Let's go ahead and read it. It's perhaps 
the most troubling story in the New Testament. Listen to this. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. This is uh, Matthew. Let me make sure. My, my computer keeps wanting to turn the page here. One second. Matthew 15, verse 21. Yeah, it keeps wanting to go to Mark. Matthew 15, 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And he adds this, to add insult to injury, and his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away. She's crying out after us. Now there is nothing more desperate. And, and those of you who are parents know, there are many times you'd say, I'll, I'll trade places with my kids. You see them suffering, you think, Lord, if it, were, if it was possible, I'll step into their place and let them be relieved and I'll take that on. There is nothing more vulnerable than the pain of a parent when you see your kids suffering. This is a desperate woman. It's almost as if God could not have provided an example that was more vulnerable and more painful to see than this desperate woman crying out to Jesus. The book of Mark says that Jesus had actually gone into a home because he didn't want to be seen. He was tired. He was exhausted, and so he retreated to a house, but he could not remain hidden, Mark says. Here's the fact. When Jesus is in the house, you can't keep people out of the house. They will make their way in. The desperate will always find him. And they chased him down. This woman chased him down, and she cried out to him. I mean, she is throwing herself at him and saying, Jesus, please, my daughter. Uh, let me read it again. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She knew what was going on. She knew it was spiritual. She knew she was being tormented by a demonic spirit. And she went to the only person who could help her. And what does he do? He doesn't even acknowledge her. Again, I tell you, there, there, there is maybe not a more painful passage in all of Scripture. There may not be any other story in Scripture that seems to contradict what we know to be true about God more than this one. But the fact is, at some level, all of us have experienced this, some more than others. But you've been there where you're feeling desperate and it seems like not only is God not seemingly moving, but he's not even acknowledging you. And I would propose to you, your response in those moments is one of the most important things about you. It's one of the greatest indications of your faith. And it's actually a required course in the school of the Spirit. We have to go through these kind of experiences because what they will do is they will bring things to the surface we didn't know were there. And God loves us enough that he's going to bring those things to the surface, remove them so we can go on with him. So listen to what happens. But he did not answer a word. Now, I have to fill in the gaps here. 
uh, but I, I don't think I'm doing violation to the passage. I really think when she began to cry out to him, Jesus didn't even look at her. He just kind of kept his back to her. And she's crying, Jesus, son of David. He doesn't even acknowledge her. And then she's close enough. She's hearing the disciples say, Lord, would you let us send her away? She's irritating. She's annoying. Listen to her. She's so loud. Can you imagine? You come to your pastor and he doesn't even acknowledge your request. And then the ushers come up and say, can we, can we remove this one? They're a little loud. I mean, how insulting. How many of us would tolerate that kind of behavior? And again, I'm not talking. There, there's a lot of situations I can say, it feels this way that God is doing that. But the battle in my mind is I know, but that's not really who he is. He's not really, it just seems that way. Here, he really did it. Okay? It wasn't, it seems, it was really happening. So Jesus just ignores her. The disciples rebuff her and ask for permission to throw her out and listen to what she does. He says, they say, send her away for she is crying out after us. He answered. This was his only response. I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 25, but she came and she knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Man, that's heartbreaking. You think about it. When you know your child is tormented of a demon. She had accurately assessed the spiritual condition and she's getting no movement. In fact, it, we're not talking about a brass heaven. We're talking about a, a rude response from the son of God himself. Distant and disconnected is how he felt in that moment. But she came and she knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to give the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She's been ignored. They're asking permission to throw her out. And now Jesus insults her. And don't, don't let any teacher tell you, oh, well, in the, in the Hebrew culture, that wasn't as offensive. Yes, it was. When you're called a dog, and that you don't qualify to get the blessing. He was addressing a very real situation. Jesus knew his primary calling was to Israel. And she was not an Israelite. She was a Syrophoenician Canaanite woman. The Phoenicians had a long history of grotesque idolatry and human sacrifice. And that's where she came from. The gospel was not to come to her yet. It, that was for later on. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But there was something about this woman in her desperation. She would not take no for an answer. And we need to realize that there are times in our walk with God, it can feel just like this. And the conclusions we come to in those moments will determine not only our destiny, but the destiny of our children. The deliverance of this little girl was dependent upon her mama's response to Jesus. And she wasn't getting what she was hoping to get thus far. There's a narrative we write in our head during those times. 
there's a story we begin to tell ourselves. And the story you tell yourself when others are getting touched, others are getting their breakthrough, and arguably your need is greater than theirs. I can't think of a more tormenting, painful thing to see than to see your child tormented by a devil. She's crying out. The story you tell yourself during those moments is very, very important. What's the narrative she wrote? One of the narratives we tend to write is we get offended with God. We buy into this thing that, well, what I'm seeing is reality. What I'm experiencing, God is distant and disconnected. He's rude and he's the problem. And people withdraw. And there are people who go through hardship. We all know them. We all, and I don't say this critically, I say it with a broken heart. I've seen people walk with Jesus in the good times and leave him in the hard times because they get offended. We've talked about this before, but I'm telling you, if you are not comfortable with mystery, you're going to be, you'll have a hard time walking with Jesus because he knows everything and we don't. And the gap between what he knows and we don't know, or we do know, that gap is called the mystery. And there are times God's operating on a level we don't understand, and that's what he was doing here. Make no mistake about it. But it's so easy to get offended, especially when you're so desperately in need. And so some people, they write this narrative that God is rude, he doesn't really care, and with friends like that, who needs enemies? And they check out. They don't walk with the Lord anymore. It's, they, they assume that they allow their experience to define who God really is. And faith will always require. There's always going to be a, situations in your life that will demand that you allow your faith to redefine your circumstances. Because you get that one flipped and you're going to come to some really bad conclusions. Because we live in the tension of the already and the not yet. The kingdom of God has come and there's good things happening. But it isn't consummated and so there's still some bad things happening. And when we're living in that tension, it's easy to get offended and we've got to guard our hearts. And I've never met a man or woman of God yet worth their salt that hasn't gone through some heartbreaking situations and came out the other side and just held to their, their faith, their definition of who God is. I, I was in a conversation with someone this week. I don't remember who it was, but I was sharing with them. I had a Bible school professor, uh, Charles Greenaway. Some of you may have heard of Charles Greenaway. Anybody ever heard of him? He was a famous missionary. And uh, he had no idea we would go through the same experience many years later, but he had gone to Africa as a missionary. He was a pioneer missionary uh, with the Assemblies of God. They were, they were going into Africa where nobody had ever preached the gospel before. This was in the early days. He, he was an elderly man back you know, almost 40 years ago now at that time. And he talked about how he buried his child in Africa. And it was a tremendously heartbreaking story. And then he said this. He said, I don't know why God took my son. It's a mystery. And then he paused. And then he said, and I ain't going to hell over a mystery. Yeah. 
I never forgot that. There's things that happen to us, you know, that are outside of my theology. I can't, now I'm a guy that I, I want to explain those things. I want to wrestle with those things. And I, I think that's healthy at one level because God will give us answers if we keep asking. But we've got to be to the place where God, I'll worship you even when I don't understand. And there are questions I've been asking Jesus for over 35 years I still don't have an answer for. And we got to be okay with that. So the first conclusion that a lot of people come to is that God is not who he said he was. He's cruel, he's uncaring, he's a distant deity, unmoved by our situation, and it embitters our heart and we withdraw. And the sad fact is there are people who occupy seats on Sunday mornings that really do relate with God like that. They still show up for church, but they've checked their heart out many years ago because of disappointment. Disappointment is a fork in the road that we've got to be so very careful in how we deal with. Another, maybe equally as common, is that we assume that we're the problem. We assume that we're on the outside looking in. And this woman really was. She was not a Jewish person. She wasn't born to the right family. She wasn't born of the right tribe. She wasn't, she wasn't born of the right religion. She was on the outside looking in. And the fact is, by the way Jesus interacted with this woman, it'd be very easy to come to both of those conclusions. He doesn't care. You can read that by his actions. He didn't even say anything. Then when he talks, he said, I've got to give the children's, I can't give you the children's bread. He's saying, you're not one of the children. You're on the outside looking in. So we've got to be so very careful. Sometimes our experiences define who God is. Sometimes we allow our experiences to define who we are. And we can't afford to do either one. We've got to allow the word to define us and define God. And there's a lot of people that miss out when they come into this type of test. And they buy into a lie. a lie. Another lie that's very close and sometimes flows out of that is, well, I guess that's for some people. I guess those spiritual things, that's, that's for some people. And I'm supposed to be a word person. I'm supposed to be a Bible person. They can be a spirit person. And what we do is we adopt a theology to assuage our pain, to, to make our heart feel better, to give, give ourselves some theological equilibrium, but what we do is we check out and we, don't, we undermine our own hunger for God. And I'm telling you, it's a mistake. Scripture is very clear. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is the doorway to the Spirit-filled life. One of these days soon, we'll, we'll do another series on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But that doorway to the Spirit-filled life, it's for all who believe Peter said. It's for everyone. It's not just for a chosen few. But in this situation, she was left on the outside. And, and I know, man, I felt it this morning and last night in prayer. There are some of you sitting here that feel as though you are always sitting on the outside looking in. I'm not going to ask for hands. 
But you do. You, when, when God's moving, you feel like, I'm always on the outside. And you need to ask yourself this morning, what is the narrative that you've written in your mind, on your heart, to bring some sense of equilibrium in your life? How, how have you resolved that tension? God doesn't want anybody to feel like they're on the outside. Now, there was a very real dynamic in this story, pre-Calvary, that Jesus came first for the Jews. But what we need to understand is he made an exception to his own rule here. Okay? I mean, we'll get to the good part here. I just don't want to skip over the bad part. Because if we're not careful, we respond wrong to the bad part, we never get to the good part. Because we really do conclude God is, God is mean. He doesn't really care. He's immune to what I'm going through. If he really cared, he wouldn't have let this happen in the first place. And if he was really all powerful, he would have delivered my daughter. And I, I'm, I, I can't worship a God like that. And you disconnect. Or you buy into the, I guess I'm just defective. I'm not like the rest. I'm, there's something wrong with me. And you feel like God's withdrawn from you. You don't feel righteous enough. And I'm telling you that that belief system in and of itself will sabotage your ability to receive. It really will. Not because God's not unwilling, but because you can't receive. You have a blockage in the form of your identity. That's not a rebuke, it's an encouragement that God wants to solve how you see yourself. Because when you see yourself right, that's why often you will see people able to receive from the Spirit of God. I'm talking about experientially receive of the Spirit after a prophetic word. There are some people, we used to joke around that back in the 90s in the revival days, some people are lats and some people are hats. Lats are low anointing tolerance. You know who they are in this room. As soon as God starts moving, they're, oh, you can hear them over there laughing or, you know, whatever they do, however they respond, that's their response. They're low anointing tolerance and then there's high anointing tolerance. Sometimes people have a, a, a high anointing tolerance not because they've learned to function but because they're unable to receive because of their belief system, how they see themselves and how they see God. And it's hard for them to receive from the Spirit of God. And a lot of times you'll see those people, they'll be down at the altar and people are really getting touched in the Spirit of God. You can feel the Spirit, the manifest presence of God in the room, but they're like a rock. They're, and they're hungry. It's not that they, they don't, they're here, they're staying, they're standing, they're wanting to receive and they have a hard time. And then someone will come up along, lay hands on them, give them a word, they'll whisper in their ear and all of a sudden they break and boom, they get hit. Why? Because they had to deal with this mental block and what the, the prophetic does is the prophetic says, God knows who you are. They hear something that the only way that person could have known that was that was God. And God had to use somebody else to receive for them and to touch them. And all of a sudden, their heart became open and boom, they get hit. And some of that is a learning process. Don't buy into the lie that if you... you I've had to learn to receive of the Spirit of God. It did not come naturally to me. Again, I watched my little brother... I was his youth pastor. I was, you know, I was his leader for many years. But I would watch him so readily able to receive and I would struggle. Because there were, some of it was, I got myself into some things he never did. 
I had to dig myself out of some things. I had to be healed. I had to deal with some things. But I had to learn. And you may be one of those that just needs to learn to receive of the Spirit of God. There are simple things you can do. Like practicing some self-awareness of how do you feel when God's moving in the room. All of us are different. But how, how is it, what is it you feel? And you begin to tune into that and create some self-awareness that when God begins to move, this is that dynamic that I feel. There are certain times, I know this sounds weird. You're thinking, oh, you passed your weirdo. I know. It, uh, there are times where there's a certain anointing that comes in the room and my right hand begins to shake. No, I can stop it. But when I ignore it, it's, my hand begins to shake. And I know there's a, certain, there's a certain type of presence that comes into the room. There's other times where I'll just feel this power, like I could walk through a wall. There's this sense of this boldness, and I could walk right through. And that's exactly what it is. It's boldness, and there is power to deal with issues in the room when that comes on me. You, you just need to develop an awareness and just begin to understand. Many of you have heard the illustration how they, they train pilots. They'll, they'll put them in a uh, a decompression room and they'll, they'll give them a notepad and a pen and they'll say, okay, now listen, what we're going to do is we're going to slowly suck all the oxygen out of this room. Your body is going to respond differently to the absence of oxygen than other people. Everybody responds differently. But what you need to do is you need to start to write down notes and take note of what that feels like so you can be aware. Because when you're up in the sky and if the oxygen leaves... It's too late for you to learn because you're wondering, why do I feel dizzy? Oh, this is where, you know, too late. You got to learn the lesson. And so some people will feel, all of a sudden they'll feel tingly in their hands. It'll begin to go up their arms. Some people feel dizzy. Some people feel a sense of euphoria. And then finally they pass out and they rush in there, get them, get them woke up. What did you write down? And they'll do that several times so that sometime when they're up in the plane and they start to feel that, uh-oh. My gauges look good, but something's going on in the room. They develop a self-awareness to what's going on in the atmosphere. And we need to do the same thing as spirit-filled believers. You have a born-again spirit within you that can discern what's going on in the room. And too many of us don't trust the spirit of God within us to really give any credibility to that. And much of spiritual gifts and being used by the Lord in the supernatural begins there, just understanding, oh, I sense something. Sometimes words of knowledge that I've gotten are so slight, it was, it'd be so easy to ignore. Okay, I'm gonna tell you weird, another weird story. I was in a service one time and all of a sudden, I felt just, it was like this. And you know what I felt? Pain in my ovaries. Now, that was strange, okay? I suddenly knew there was a woman in the room that had an issue in her ovaries. I never want to feel that again, by the way. And uh, it would have been, it was, it was almost as, I felt Jesus come in the side of the room, and it was like this. I was like, that, that, that can't be a word of knowledge. But then again, I have no ovaries, and uh, so I just, I threw it out there and this woman came forward weeping and was touched by the power of God, instantly healed. It would have been so easy to ignore that. It was just like the slightest little impression. And God wants to create this 
ability for us to sense what he's doing. He wants to cooperate with us. He wants to partner with us. But if we're to do that, we've got to develop that sensitivity. How do you react when the Spirit of God comes in the room? Some people are very demonstrative, others aren't. It's fine. There's no right or wrong way. It's the way that your makeup responds. Understand that. Begin to ask God for a sensitivity. Make note of it so that when you're in a service and all of a sudden your, your fingers start to tingle or whatever <laughs> happens to you, oh, God's, God's here. He's about to do something so that you can get on the front end of that and begin to cooperate with heaven. But what happens is if we have this feeling that God can't use me, that I'm on the outside, there's, there's healing that needs to happen in our heart. And often you need to get with some other people to pray for you because they can, all of a sudden, their, your antenna doesn't work, but theirs does. They can receive a word from the Lord, give it to you, and that will open your spirit to begin to receive. And God begin to heal that. And you build your ability, you learn how to receive from the Spirit of God. So there's people that blame God. God's, God's cruel, he doesn't care. I don't need him, I'm gonna withdraw. There's other people, well, I guess I'm, there's something defective about me. I'm not from the right group. I'm not, uh, you know, God's whole, you know, he knows where I came from. All these lies that we believe, so we withdraw from him. We, we uh, make ourselves the exception to the rule. Or we develop a theology that says, well, that's for others and not for me. So that we don't have to feel that rejection, that painful rejection when it seems like everybody else is receiving. And I'm here to tell you, if you will push through all of that and hold to the goodness of God, there is breakthrough on the other side. Let's finish this story. It's a beautiful story. Listen to what he says. So Jesus finally responds. He answers, it is not right to take the children's bread and give it and throw it to the dogs. Now listen to her. This, she goes low, quick. She says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She was admitting, I don't have a place at the table, but I'm under it. I am just here. If there's any little bit that falls from the table, I'm here to get it. I'm hungry. What she was saying is, number one, she, she didn't argue. She was, she was, a, Cana, she was a, a, a Canaanite dog within their culture. She didn't get all puffed up, you know, and say, well, who do you think you are calling me a dog? Don't you know that's racist and, you know, getting in an argument with them? She didn't argue. She said, yes, I'm a dog, but even the dogs get the crumbs. Listen to what she's saying. It's not going to take a whole loaf to deliver my daughter. All I need is one little crumb of what you put out, Jesus, and it'll happen. I believe you. I think what was really going on here, I think in her mind, this was the narrative going on in her mind, and this is what helped her to push through. I think this was a desperate mom that was searching for answers. She was so broken about what her little girl was going through, and she heard a story about a Jewish rabbi that was healing the sick and casting out devils. And hope grew in her heart. And she began to follow his ministry and she listened for the story. She listened to his teaching. And so when she finally chased him down and quartered him in a house that he was trying to hide in, and he just doesn't even acknowledge her, 
And then he looks back and says, I can't give the children's bread to the dogs. I think what was in her mind is this. Jesus, I don't understand what all this is. I don't understand all this. But I've listened to you before. I've seen the look in your eye when you've touched other demon-possessed little kids. I've seen the compassion that you operate in. And I don't know what all this stuff is about, why you're acting this way, but I know better. That's not who you really are. I know the real you. I've been following your ministry for a while. See, she would not allow that offensive behavior to define Jesus. That is great faith. She was not worried about her elevation in his eyes. She, she just said, I just need a crumb and it will deliver my child. And I believe that's what was going on in her mind. I believe the narrative she was telling is, I'm confused because this is not the Jesus I know you to be, but I'm not taking no for an answer. She kept pressing through. She held to her faith. And faith is more than believing God can. It's believing he will, okay? It's the willingness of God to touch us. And that's what she was holding on to, even though he stated otherwise. I believe that was the narrative in her head. Here's the narrative I believe was in Jesus' head. I believe it absolutely killed him to say that to her. But he knew what she needed. I believe on the inside he was already broken because there was a mom so concerned for her little girl being tormented. And he knew he was the one who could help her. So for him to refuse to acknowledge him, to, to refuse to acknowledge her, he was dying a thousand deaths on the inside, but he knew what she needed. I'm telling you, there are times where God will withhold what you need for a moment to do a deeper work in your heart in the process. Amen. And it's not just about the healing and the touch and the, the anointing and all those things. Sometimes it's what he's going to do in the process of our pursuit. He's bringing that stuff to the surface and forcing us to face it. And it just may be that last week, some of you really got touched. There's been a lot, there was a lot of healings, a lot of baptisms in the spirit. I had someone tell me yesterday, my marriage is different. A man at the prayer meet, at the men's breakfast said his marriage was transformed because his wife got touched here. Well, that's, hey, the, the men's meeting, we're, we're going to start praying for more of this women's stuff. You know, this is awesome. But it's, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. There were a lot of people touched. And then there were some of you who weren't. And it just may be that those of you who were hungry and positioned yourself and wanted to receive and went away disappointed, it just may be that God is doing a greater work in you than the people he did touch right away. Because he's going after something. If we're going to be a church where the Spirit of God moves, we're going to have to learn to steward disappointment and mystery. And we've got to trust Him in spite of how we feel we are being treated. That we push through all that stuff because we know, Jesus, I know you're good. And I know how you really feel. I believe when Jesus finally, went, listen to what He says. This is beautiful. Verse 28, then Jesus answered her. 
Oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you have desired. And her daughter was healed instantly. Mark says she went home and found her daughter laying in bed, perfectly whole, never tormented again. Don't you know Jesus was just longing to say it to her, hoping she would pass the test? I believe he was standing with his back to her, maybe glanced at her. I can't give the, the children's bread to the dogs. And inside he's saying, oh, that was harsh. Oh. But he knew what she needed. And when she threw herself down and said, yeah, listen, I'm just a little dog under the table. But I know if one crumb will fall, that's all I need. I'm not trying to take something from the other children. I just need a crumb, a leftover, and that's all it'll take. And I believe Jesus spun around. He was glowing. He smiled. I believe, okay, I'm adding to the text, okay? I know you're not supposed, this is a proposal. He grabbed her by the face and he said, woman, great is your faith. Your daughter is healed this day. The woman that moments before he ignored, then he insulted, now he elevated and exalted in front of everyone because she passed the test. I'm telling you, listen, some of you didn't get touched like you want. Some of you have been longing for it for years. Don't give in because I'm telling you, all that stuff sometimes when it's like, you know, you feel like you're being called a dog and you're not being acknowledged, all of that is a show for God to do a work in you. And behind that is the loving heart of God that longs to give you your breakthrough. And the people who pass that test end up being exalted before everyone else. They're the example. Amen. Go ahead and stand. I want to pray for you this morning. In fact, let's do this. And believe me, there, there have been many times in my life I would be answering this altar call if I wasn't the one giving it, okay? But if you're of those, you feel like, you, you feel like, man, a lot of times, everybody else is getting touched and I don't feel anything. And you're saying, but I want to press through this. I want to break into all that God has for me. If that's you, I want you to come up front and just stand across the front. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just the way you're wired. Whatever it is, it might be something God wants to heal. It just might be your personality. But God wants to bring you into the deeper things of God. And I want to encourage you, as your pastor, believe me, I've been there many times. I've been there where I felt like, man, Lord, everybody else is getting touched. And I don't feel anything. Hallelujah. If you don't have to answer the altar call, I want you to extend your right hand towards these this morning. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for your children. Mm. Show. Huh, man, I just felt the Lord say right away, you need to know you're a child at the table. Every one of you, you're a child. At, you've got a seat at the table. You don't have to settle for crumbs because you are a child at the table. We're post-Calvary here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Faith, could you guys come up and... What, what I want to do is I want to enter into worship. We've got a few minutes. I actually... This is the sign and a wonder. We talk about miracles here. It is five tool, okay? This is a miracle. I want us to begin to worship, and I want those of you just begin to worship the Lord. I'm going to ask the ministry team 
to come up and we're going to begin to lay, if you're, you might be on the ministry team and up here, that's fine. You're receiving today. But if you are on the ministry team and uh, you're not up here, I want us to just begin to just release the spirit of God over these. And the rest of us, we're worshiping this morning to create an atmosphere for them. Amen? Because Jesus is worthy. Hallelujah. And Larry and Laura and Gotti, would you guys help us pray this morning? Just lay hands on people. I appreciate it. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We thank you. Lord, I thank you for the humility of that woman that didn't argue. And I thank you for the humility of these this morning. Lord, they're hungry for you. Lord, I thank you for their hunger, the hunger of that woman, the faith of that woman. And I thank you for the faith of these this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.